One of the most difficult things that my wife and I had to do recently is to be involved in the process and the decision to put down my father-in-law's dog. The decision came after the realization that the dog could no longer walk on his own without assistance. And it was causing Lynn's dad, my dad, who is 94 years old, by the way. Amen. That's a praise in itself, isn't it? Amen. And in good health. 94 and in good health. But you can see how something like that can go south as a caretaker for a sick dog. It was causing him a great deal of stress and strain from the lifting, and I mean we're lifting a 40-pound-plus dog down some stairs, indoors and outdoors, and back again because the dog couldn't walk very well. The dog was suffering from degenerative nerve damage from his spine. And the medication that he was taking just stopped working. It wasn't working anymore. For the first time that I can remember... I saw Dad become emotional because he knew that the dog was suffering and had to go. I mean, he couldn't even use the word put down himself. He never used those words. But he knew the dog had to go. And he was losing his friend and companion of just over 15 years. Now, this is not meant to be an unhappy story because... You know, at the time after I wrote this and prepared this, the praise is that throughout the entire process, he recognized he didn't want to be alone. And so yesterday, we went and adopted another dog for him. And she's a cutie. She's a cutie. Her name is Blondie. And she is a, just, the, my dad, he picked out immediately the dog from this kennel that we went to, the Cuyahoga County Kennel. And if you ever go to the Cuyahoga County Kennel, just as a, I warn you now, wear earplugs. Because every dog in there, in all their cages, they start barking and making this uproarious noise. Because they want to be adopted. And they see people coming. But here's Blondie. It was a collie, a shepherd mix with a little bit of Labrador in. Just as pretty as she could be. And... You know, they found the dog two weeks ago roaming around in the uh, metro parks over at Garfield, Garfield Metro Parks, just kind of scrounging for food. So the praise in all of this is that he is no longer alone. He's got a companion again. But the time leading up to that point took a lot of soul searching, a lot of praying, a lot of just making sure that we were making the right decisions throughout the entire process. We had to decide that the old dog, Freckles, that was his name, had to be humanely euthanized. And seeing him kind of well up with tears and recognize that that was happening, that was tough at the time. And that was just a week ago. Deep down, I knew that we, Lynn and I, would be involved with Dad managing the health care of the dog and we weren't sure how long it was going to happen. We knew that the end was approaching at the time, and we didn't know the exact day or time. We just couldn't predict that or couldn't foretell that. But even when you know something is coming, even when you know that a change is coming before you, it's tough to prepare for it. You can't necessarily prepare for it. You can't necessarily do anything about it. And knowledge that it will eventually happen doesn't make it any less emotional or painful. You know it's coming, but you also know it's going to be painful. You know it's going to be tough. Each of us has had moments like this where the inevitable becomes evident. Amen? Everybody has had moments like this. That's why I said, young or old, everybody in this room knows about what I'm speaking of right now. There's an adjustment process that we have to go through during such transitions. Life 
is a series of transitions. They're grouped in situations and circumstances, but that's life. Amen? Our challenge is successfully navigating through these transitions with a steadiness, with a grace, and not just from our own perspective, but in reflecting a positive demeanor and presence before others. Now, that does not mean necessarily just putting on a good face and toughing it out. You need to be real about your circumstances and situations. One of the worst things that you can do is pretend that everything is okay before everybody else. Because that is not the testimony that you need to be making. You can show yourself to be having difficulty. It's okay. Unless you're vain about it. Can't nobody see you looking bad. But that's vanity. That's a selfish behavior. You need to be real in your situations and circumstances. You need to be available to share those things if you're called upon. There is a learning experience in everything that you're going through. Amen? Do you realize that? Maybe I shouldn't have you say amen unless you know that. There is a learning experience in everything that you go through. But you have to choose to learn it. If you're looking at this from a selfless perspective, you're going to understand the value of living a Christ-like existence and as a Christ-like example before others who do not know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Being Christ-like. Now, what does that mean? Not just putting on a good face, being real, being humble, being available, understanding that it's not all about you. That's the great challenge that we have. See, change is something that we all are going to experience, but it's not all about you. If it's all about you, then Christ can't get in to minister to you. Because there's no room. Because you're taking up the room. Why am I going through this pain? Lord, what's happening to me? That's not how you deal with change. You can get upset. You can understand what's going on. But your response, we'll talk about the response. We'll talk about how you are open to this change, what's happening, and how you deal with it. This message is about developing your ability to deal with the many changes you will experience throughout your lifetime. With the recognition that not everyone handles change in the same way, and we don't. We're different personalities. We don't handle change that happens in the same way. Well, some of us even very well, for that matter. You probably know people who don't handle change well. And I mean this in a very positive way. Some don't handle it well because they're not used to it. We'll talk about that more as to why that occurs. There are valuable lessons, though, embedded within these experiences. It's up to each of us to recognize them. I'm going to present you some information that will support the facts that the more you rely upon God's perspective, God's perspective, not your own perspective, God's perspective through these changes, the more you're going to feel and experience his supernatural presence in the midst of this change and the extraordinary ability to see and successfully navigate through these changes with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see more, you're going to understand more because you're awakened to the presence of the Spirit and all these things. Now I say that 
Because change is something that we all go through. We all experience it in different ways. But sometimes we miss the connection to look at God's role in this change. We internalize stuff. We think it's all about us. And that's where we miss the lessons. That's where we miss the connection. So what does this mean for those of us who have a difficult time with change? What does this mean for those of us who have a tough time with it? It's one thing to be completely surprised and caught off guard with a situation. It's another one to see it coming, like we've talked about. But our responses can be strikingly similar in both instances whether you're caught off guard or not. Whether you know something is coming or not, we are to draw upon the peace and comfort of Almighty God as we meet these challenges. Now that sounds like a very trite thing to say, doesn't it? Allow the comfort and peace of God to be with us through these changes. But is that a slam dunk? The answer is no. Because you have to do it. You have to allow it to happen. Now, for a non-believer, this is not relevant to anything. As a non-believer, will not rely upon the peace of God to get them through changes. They will do everything and anything to get through it, and sometimes not good things either. But you can do the same thing. You're no better than that non-believer if you're not relying upon God through these changes. Don't miss that. You ain't no better. You're going to do what you think you need to do. Well, I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to have a toke. I'm going to get wasted and forget about everything that happened. Is that how you handle change? Y'all ain't laughing either. I see that. You know why? Because you've seen people do exactly that. And I hope they're not believers. Amen? That was a real quiet amen. I know that. Oh, boy. Look out. I'm going to cover four points about change today. Two of them are very obvious to each of us while the last two are dependent upon the response of the individual. In other words, how you respond to it. Before exploring these, let's go to Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Turn to Ecclesiastes 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. The sooner you look at these verses, and the sooner you recognize... Everything we're reading about here is about life. This is life encapsulated in eight verses. And of course, the Bible is all about life, but if you really want to break it down, here's where life is. There is an occasion in verse 1 in Ecclesiastes 3. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. Look at verse 4. A time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Just about every word that you read in that is life. And for those of you old timers who remember the birds' song, Turn, 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 back in the 60s, 
It was based upon the lyrics from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. That's where that song comes from. But the message is so true, isn't it? It talks about life. There's a time for all of these things. According to God's purpose, God's will, those, all those things take place. So, with these verses in mind, here are the four points. Number one, change is inevitable. Feel free to write that down, because we'll come back to it and talk about it more in detail. Change is inevitable. That's the first thing. These verses pretty much tell you that. If you're going from weeping to celebrating, that's a change. There's a change that took place where you're going from one to the other. Number two, change is necessary. Change is necessary. It has to happen. It must happen. You get right down to it, in order for you to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior, there had to be a change. It's necessary. Had to be a change. Number three, change is perspective-driven. What does that mean, perspective-driven? Change is all based upon how you receive it. It's your perspective as to how you receive that change. It's driven by your perspective where you'll accept it or you'll reject it. Or you will only see the bad things about it or you'll see the good that comes from it. And number four, change is an opportunity. Change is an opportunity. Remember about, we talked about the lessons that can be learned from change. Well, there's an opportunity in that. And we'll talk about that more as we go forward. First, let's go back to change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. Without it, nothing can occur. From the time of God's creation of the world, through the passage of time to the world that we see today, the world has changed. No kidding. Duh. Of course it's changed. If it hadn't changed, we'd still be rolling around stones. We'd be like the Flintstones. Riding around in a Flintmobile. Which defies all logic, by the way. But we're not living in the Stone Ages. We're living today. There had to be a change. Go to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Where does that change come from? Psalm 102, and we're going to look at verse 25. It says in Psalm 102, 25, Long ago you established the earth. You being who? Who's you? God is. You establish the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Whose hands? God's hands. God is the author and orchestrator of all change. Amen? Now, that's something that you have to come to accept. If you didn't know that, he is the author and orchestrator of all change. There's nothing that happens that is past him or beyond his scope. He allows it, he orchestrates it, he directs it. And thank goodness that he does. Knowing that we need a savior, thank goodness that he does orchestrate the change. That he has the change agent 
available and makes it available for us. And that change agent is Jesus Christ. Flip over to James chapter 1 as well, too. Let's look at just another way of looking at the same thing we just said. James chapter 1, verse 17. God is the author and orchestrator of all change. And it says in James 1, verse 17, Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. Everything that we have, everything that we experience that's good, comes from him, is directed from him. The things that you have, the life that you live, comes from him. From your own perspective, you have changed physically from the time you were born and through your stages of childhood into adulthood. Remember that time when you know, we, were, we reached puberty? Well, that's when you really see the change, don't you? When you're growing up as a child and you're going into adulthood, well, you recognize those changes immediately. All of a sudden, you see hairs coming out of you places, faces changing, look completely different, body is changing, mom and daddy got to buy you new clothes because you don't want to wear those flood high waters to school anymore because you've grown up. The worst thing in the world is going out in public with those flood waters, pants on. Look like you really are walking through a flood. Mama, go get me some pants. I was really self-conscious about that. I kept looking down at my feet. Because your feet grow too. And your shoes get too small. You see those changes right away. They happen very quickly. It's very evident right before you. Let's move on from there. You have acquired knowledge as a preschooler through kindergarten, elementary, and high school, and through your job or profession. Some of us went to college, some of us didn't, but that's okay. You learned every day something if you're paying attention. All of this involved what? Change! Even most importantly, all of these changes had to occur to make you into the person you are today. You as a 40-year-old have no business going to high school. Amen? Now, I'll give you props if you're getting your GED, but you had a chance to do it when you were 16, 17, 18 years old. There had to be a change. The verse that shows the wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and value, excuse me, of seeking knowledge speaks for itself. And that verse is Proverbs 18. Let's look at that. Proverbs 18, 15. This verse applies to everybody. Whether you're in high school, college, preschool, elementary school, whatever school you're in right now, the school of hard knocks, This applies to you. It says in Proverbs 18.15, the mind of the discerning acquires knowledge. You want to know more. And the ear of the wise seeks it. We got a lot of folks out here that don't want to get any kind of knowledge. They want to be stupid. Can I say that? Is that allowed? I mean, I'm in the pulpit. I've got to watch what I say, don't I? There are a lot of people who want to be stupid. There's no wisdom in that. The kids know about this, too. Some of you who are in high school, some kids actually dumb themselves down so they can fit in with the crowd of folks 
and will persecute those who want to seek wisdom and knowledge, who want to get good grades, who want to achieve, who want to grow. That's a trick from Satan all the way to not want to get smart, to flunk. There'll be a change for you waiting, and it won't be a good one. If you want to be stupid, you're going to get stupid your whole life. Stupid stuff coming at you, and you won't be able to handle it. Starts in school. Starts in the classroom. I told you this message was for everybody. Starts in the classroom. Wisdom, knowledge, you seek it, you desire it, because it's for your own good. It's for your good. Next, change is necessary. Change is necessary. When you're young, you need to grow in knowledge and learn about life in order to function well, which goes back to what we just talked about. Function well and survive. The things you learn will help you down the road. The change is necessary. You've got to be prepared. Many achievements over time are based upon performance. How many of you have had performance reviews at work? You go to work, you've got to usually have a review that you've done your work the right way for the past year. And the review, performance review, verifies that you're doing things the way you should be doing them. The, the ones that don't go so well for you are the ones where you think you're doing all right and you don't care what anybody else thinks. When you get up in front of the reviewer and you find out you weren't doing so, guys, what, what happened here? What you talking about? I've been working my tail off. Have you been working your tail off based upon how the company wants you to work? Or even worse than that, have you been taking a lot of breaks? You heading out for them two and four hour lunches? You ducking out early? Coming in late? Man, I forgot to punch the time clock. Can you punch it for me? Trying to get over isn't going to help you in the long run. Performance. And it requires focus and effort in the long and short term. Note the biblical truths that convey this message about change being necessary, especially when it comes to your growth as a believer in Jesus Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 11, some of us as believers, we say we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but some of us still need to do something very important. You know what that is? Mature. Grow up! It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Goo goo gaga. Because that's all you could say. You were still learning your English. I thought like a child. Let's go out and play today. That's okay. That's what kids do. I reason like a child. Well, sometimes that was flawed. So we had to learn from that. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Really? Some of us adults are still talking like goo goo gaga. Let's go out and play. Mommy's going to dress us today. As believers, we have the same issue. There comes a point where you have to change because it's necessary. And that's for you to receive the full benefit of fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you remain an infant, in your belief system, guess what? That's all you're going to get out of it. Being an infant. And not really growing and maturing and learning. Not receiving the full benefit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You have to mature. Go to James 4.2. You know how a lot of people sometimes dwell upon their own situations, their own circumstances, and that's part of not growing up. I feel like, well, they don't even use the word downtrodden. They, they're downtrodden. I don't have anything. I don't have any money. My job is terrible. I hate my life. People actually do say that, you know. Some people actually say, I hate my life. I hate my life means you are not secure in anything. You don't have it together. But look at what James chapter 4, verse 2b says. You don't have because you do not ask. You don't get anything if you don't ask for it. How are you seeking the Lord? Is the Lord your genie? Will you wave your hands and rub on a lamp and you think you're going to get something for that? No, it calls for a sincere relationship, seeking Him, praying to Him, having fellowship to Him, and dying to self and humbling yourself before Him. When you humble yourself before Him, you're going to see what's important. Which goes back to my previous comment, it's not all about you. Change is necessary. Growing up is a requirement if you plan to be successful. Amen. Growing up is a requirement if you plan to be successful. And growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary in your spiritual growth. When change occurs, your growth, your maturity, will equip you with the ability to trust and rely upon the Holy Spirit with confidence. With confidence. You're trusting in Him. That's the very nature of faith. Trusting in Him. Not trusting in yourself. Not thinking that you can get through something. Not thinking that you can deal with it. Not shirking away from responsibility because you don't think you can handle it. Well, you're not the one to handle it. That's what Jesus is for. Let's stop here for a moment. Let's deal with the reality that many people simply do not like change. And do not like change. And I promise we would explain that in greater detail, and now is the time to do that. What does change represent for those people who really don't like it? Change represents a different and sometimes uncomfortable movement to a place where you were comfortable at one point because things were moving along and now you're uncomfortable and unfamiliar with what's happening. Now that's not a negative thing. Many people like to be comfortable. Many people love comfort. Many people love peace, serenity, all the adjectives that go with that. Change is now a movement to a place, even if it's a good change, where it's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. We, as human beings, want familiar. We want comfort. It has nothing to do with the change being good or bad. It's going from a place where you were to another place that you're not familiar with. It's the unfamiliarity of the situation that causes the discomfort. This is a big deal for some people. Because if you're familiar with it, you're comfortable with it, it's all good. If you're not, well, that's the way it is. It's not about liking it or not liking it. What we need to see in this discomfort is not the feeling of discomfort by itself. That's where that person has to move. It's not about feeling uncomfortable, but it's the dependence that is being shown that we truly have for God in these situations. When we don't have the answers, when we're not comfortable, that's the immediate switch you should hit to go right to God.
and help him with that level of discomfort. Help you with the level of unfamiliarity that you have. Help him for you to deal with that. This discomfort should spark a desire in us to seek God in prayer for direction, for peace, and most importantly, trusting him in the results through faith. Guess what? That's the very nature of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not having answers for everything. He is the one that provides the comfort through that. He may not give you an answer that you're looking for right away, but you'll have peace about it until that point comes when you do have the answer for it. That's the key. Change can be uncomfortable. Change can be unfamiliar. But it should prompt us on to seek the Lord Jesus Christ through that change. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. The very nature of faith is what we need to rely upon during this change that we experience. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Now understand something. If you're a non-believer, this has no relevance to you. If you're a believer, this is power. This is what it's all about. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That's what gets us through change. We can't see everything. But faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what is not seen. That's where our comfort is. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. Now look at that. Take the word ancestors out of there. Put yourself in that place. You are approved by God because of your faith and trust in him. Amen? That's what that verse says. Even if you don't have all the answers. Faith, look, <clears throat> salvation is a promise that we will have eternal life. Have any of you seen that yet? Have you been there and been back? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know what, it, you know what color it is? Do you know anything about it? Do any of you know? I'm asking you. You don't know. But faith is that we'll have it. Amen? Because God's word says it. Amen? That's what it's all about. Same principle would change. You don't have all the answers. You don't know for sure. You haven't seen it yet. But you're going to trust that God is going to give you what you need to get through it. Amen. Flip over to Romans 4. Romans 4, look at verses 20 through 24. <clears throat> I'm going to show you, too, how important this faith is when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with the Lord. It has a value by your just having faith and believing, just as you do that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, that there is a benefit from that for you. See if you can catch the benefit as we look at these verses. It says in Romans 4, starting with verse 20, it says, He, this is Abraham, did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, Moses says, did not waver in unbelief. Let's not go too quickly here. Not wavering in unbelief is very important here. Because you can make a decision to believe something or not believe it. Or wallow in the fact that, well, it might not happen anyway. did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. That's what we can enjoy if we take the step of faith. We're going to feel God's presence in that. 
Verse 21, because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you believe in God's promises? That's what this is about. God makes a promise to you. The promise is essentially like writing a check and knowing that you can cash that check later. That's what that promise is. You know you can cash that check. That check is good. That's a promise. Hopefully we all haven't been there before, but you know when you're writing a check to somebody and your bank account basically says four cents and you're writing a check for $20. What kind of promise is that? When you have to write a check to somebody, do they have to run to the bank after you to make sure that money is there? Breaking all kinds of speed limits? Or do you keep your promise? We have trouble with that. God doesn't have any trouble with that at all. He keeps all of his promises. He keeps all his promises. You can cash his checks. Anytime. That's right. Anytime. He was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it was credit. Now, don't miss this. Because he believed in God's promises. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. That applies to you. Because you had faith and you believed. You're just going to wait. It's going to happen. It was credited to him for righteousness. It's credited to you for righteousness. You are righteous in your faith. If you really trust in Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was credited to him for not, was not written for Abraham alone. But also for us. You see that? It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Trusting him in that change. Trusting him in those moments. You are righteous in your faith. You don't have all the answers. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't foresee that. What do some of us want to do? You see fortune tellers spring up on different corners all the time, don't you? I got to know what the future is. No, you don't. You don't need to know anything. The most important future you have is trusting in Jesus Christ, that his word is true. That's your future. With that in mind, go to Philippians chapter 4. Now, all of us have seen this verse, or these verses, umpteen thousand five hundred and seventy-two times. I know you've seen it. And you know what? It's probably the verse you forget most often, when you really need it. Because we live in a world where it's very easy to get worried about things. But here God is telling you, don't worry about anything. Amen? Oh, that was too quiet. Amen! Now look, you're going to have a lot to worry about, but he's telling you not to do it. It doesn't mean you won't, but he's telling you you don't need to. You don't need to take ownership of it. We take ownership of stuff we have no business taking ownership of. Worrying about something you can't control. How is so-and-so going to do that? What are you going to do about it? You worry about how somebody's going to act, how somebody's going to behave, 
how it brings shame to your family's name, whatever, you can't do anything about that. Why are you worried about it? Amen? Why are y'all looking at me like I'm talking strange? You know I'm telling you the truth. You can't do anything about a lot of stuff. The only thing you can do is worry about yourself and how you're acting. But this verse is supposed to give you comfort. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. See, you've got to remember all those words. that You can't leave stuff out here. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You have to have the right attitude in your prayer. That's an attitude. If you've got a bad attitude when you're praying, guess what? You're going to feel bad right afterward. Lord, you told me to be thankful. I'll go out, I'll do it this time. Look at your attitude. What is that going to do? Where's the thanksgiving? Let your request be made known to God. Now, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You've seen this verse before. This ain't nothing you ain't seen before. Do you do it? That's the key to getting through change. You can't worry about it if you can't control it. But we take ownership and worry about it anyway. Now, here it goes again about attitude. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Stop dwelling on the stuff you can't control. Dwell on the things that will be Christ-like, that will help you to be Christ-like in your dealings with others. That's what you should be focusing on. Stuff that you can't control, no, you shouldn't be focusing on that. Focus on those things that are good, that are good for you, that are good for your whole demeanor. How do you feel when you first get on vacation? You feel what? I'm out of here. It's relief time. I'm going to go relax. I'm going to go have a good time. I'm going to lay on the beach. I'm going to go around. I'm going to shop. I'm going to have fun. You can have that kind of peace all the time, not just on vacation. Are you digging me on that or what? You can have that kind of peace all the time if you want to. If you want to. Who's holding you back? Amen. You hold yourself back. God is there for you all the time. Drop down to verse 19 in Philippians 4. Here's another verse you've seen all the time. You've got to believe it, though. Verse 19, Philippians 4. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in, G in Christ Jesus. Will supply all your needs. Now, does that mean just some of your needs? Just that just a little piece here and there, a little something-something? Say that again. That's the way I understand it. All of them. And there's another verse that talks about not worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to have to wear, not obsessing with things that you don't need to worry about because God is going to give you what you need. You're not going to starve. You're not going to be running out here naked. You have what you need. One more verse, very important. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Now, everything I'm telling you guys today right now is stuff you already know this stuff. This is not anything that you haven't heard before. But what it really comes down to when I said people react to change differently, 
You can either have a good attitude about it and a bad attitude, which we'll talk about a little bit more. You can triumph through this change if you're seeking the Lord. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we, For we live by faith and not by sight. Guess what? If you live by sight, you ain't going nowhere. If you live according to how you see things, you're not doing anything. If you look at the world around you and look at how things appear to be, you're right there with them. Because in order for you to trust in Christ, guess what? You have to have faith. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't go by appearances. We don't go by appearances. At least we're not supposed to. This is where change, whether it is positive or negative, is all about the third point, your perspective. Your perspective. If you're unable to reconcile with the reality of change and its inevitability, you're going to get stuck. You're going to be stuck in the moment without seeing the blessings that can occur during and after the change. You know that? You're so focused on your own self, you can't see God blessing you in the midst of it. Why am I going through this change? Why are you doing this to me, Lord? You can't see nothing. You won't see anything. Because you're focused on yourself and not looking at what God can do and will do and is doing. We miss blessings all the time. Amen? We miss blessings all the time. We don't see them. Not just the stuff like preserving you. Let's start with that. That's a blessing that you get up every day. We got that one, okay? If you're up every day, you should know that's a blessing. You should know that. Is that a given? Is that a given that you're going to get up every day? Well, then it's a blessing. If you can't see the blessings, how are you going to be able to function in such a way where you recognize the change is going to be good for you? I can't stress enough that in moments where change is taking place and there's movement from one situation or circumstance to the next, the believer in Jesus Christ must continually seek God in the process beyond the mere change to receive the full effects and the benefits of God's place and position in the midst of it. God has a place in the midst of that change. You've got to see it. You've got to know it. You've got to recognize it. Because it's not just about you. It's not just about you. Ask God to show you. This is everybody. Ask God to show you in the midst of change what he wants you to see. Don't just focus on what's happening to me. Focus on what he wants you to see. That's what you should be doing. Go to Psalm 145. We're, we're on the home stretch here, so I'm just letting you know that now. I don't want your hunger pangs to get to you to the point where you start losing focus. Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19. Psalm 145, 18 and 19. Verse 18, the Lord is near all who what? Call out to him. See, we don't call on the Lord. That's why we don't realize anything. We're not calling on the Lord unless it's something that's happening to us. Lord Jesus, help me! Something like that. But that's not how you should be calling on the Lord when something bad happens all the time. You're supposed to be calling on him all the time.
The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with what? Integrity. Don't call on the Lord unless you're sincere about it. Don't call on the Lord unless you have a mindset and a focus that you want to be obedient to him. We've got a lot of folks that call on the Lord that aren't obedient to him. That's where you hear that, oh, no, Jesus, help me, help me. Been sinning like crazy. And now you expect the Lord to do something for you. Had no fellowship with him whatsoever. Something bad happens. Oh, God! You're just fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. All who call out to him with integrity. That's the key. Doing what you're supposed to be doing in the first place. So that when it's time for you to really need him, he'll be ready to help you. You don't have to start from square one talking about, well, you've been sinning so-and-so. Lord, I know I, ha- I haven't been doing it right. I ain't doing it. I suppose. Well, you're starting from square one. You're supposed to be all way ahead of that by this point. He'll respond if you repent and ask for forgiveness. But look at all the time you've lost. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. Notice the desires of those who fear him. Some people don't have any reverence for who God is. God's my ace boon coon buddy. Right on. That ain't reverence. You have to fear him. You have to recognize who he is in your life. And finally, Romans 8.28, which probably is a misunderstood verse by most people. Because, and turn to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 can be the most, one of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. Because they look at the word good and attribute it to meaning sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, everything. But that's not what the good is we're talking about here. That's why maturity in your faith is so important. This verse will get misused if you miss this. Understand something. It may be for your good, but it may not have been a good situation that you're transitioning through. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now understand something. Good may not necessarily be a feeling. And understand something, too, that the end result is your eternity in Jesus Christ. Because many people who are martyred and who suffer won't see that good until, frankly, they get to the Lord. But what? It's in his will and his purpose. So don't miss that. That's why you have to mature and understand that bad things happen to good people. All the time. And that's tough. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to believe that or deal with that. But bad things do happen. But Romans 8.28 talks about your eternity more than anything else. According to his will and purpose is for you to have fellowship with Jesus Christ here and in eternity. Eternal life. That's his will. For you. That's what you need to take from that verse. But even in the midst of change, seeking him, looking for peace, looking for comfort. Remember, it may not be a good change. It may not be a good change that's taking place. But you're seeking his will. You're seeking his word. You're seeking him. You're looking for him to give you comfort in that change. Amen? Our responsibility in the change we experience is to remain loyal and faithful to God And he will make known his presence in all things. 
There's a verse, Micah 6, 8. You don't need to turn to that. I'll just read it for you. Micah 6, 8. Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly. To love faithfulness. And to walk humbly with your God. Can you say that about yourself? The kids need to say the same thing. Act justly. Love faithfulness. Walk humbly with your God. Amen. That's what it's all about. We get in trouble because we don't act justly. We mistreat people. We're not faithful. We're doing stuff we know we shouldn't be doing. And not being humble. I'm a bad so-and-so. Get out my way. Is that how God wants you to act? And you know, the world proclaims that message all the time. The world gives you, that's all they feed you. If you have the TV turned on, that's all you get. I'm a bad so-and-so. I'm going to do what I want to do. The only truth is my truth. That's the world we live in. That's the messages your kids are getting. That's the messages adults are getting. That's the message that people, when they listen to music, that's the message you get. Are you filtering that stuff out? If you hear anything, I challenge every one of you, if you hear anything that is contrary to God's word, you should be shutting that stuff off and throwing it away. If you're not doing that, you are embracing that way of thinking. And guess what? It creeps in. It creeps in. Don't mess with that stuff. To recap, we acknowledge that change is inevitable, it's necessary, and it's perspective-driven. Now, where is the opportunity? There's opportunity in change. With change, there's the opportunity to see things from a new perspective you wouldn't have seen without the change. Change causes you to see things differently, and sometimes in a better way than what you thought before. It also helps you with an opportunity to discuss how God has been in the midst of everything that has occurred through that change and share with others. In Acts chapter 8, Philip listened to the direction of the Spirit and spoke to the Ethiopian about the Scriptures. He was reading as to their meaning. He was able to use the opportunity of that moment to lead the Ethiopian to Jesus Christ. He was ready because he listened to the Spirit, and he was prepared. The key points here are not just the conversion, but how Philip was listening to the Spirit and his availability to hear the Spirit's direction. Go to the carriage. Go see him. The Spirit led it. Don't miss the lesson of hearing the Spirit speaking to you during a change. The Spirit will speak to you. The Spirit will give you what you need. Now, don't go deaf on the Spirit. The Spirit will speak to you. Now, it may not lead necessarily to converting someone to Christ, but it means that God's going to show you, in your obedience to Him, how you can be viewed as a person. When things are going difficult, why is it that people turn to believers for guidance? They see something different. They see how you handle a situation. They see the change that takes place and how you are handling it differently than everybody else. They see that calmness. They see your perspective. They see that it has a value and they want that. They want that. Your words 
of encouragement and affirmation will be well received. It lays the groundwork for opportunities to witness. Both in the short and the long term. People need to see you shine as a believer in Jesus Christ. Shine. You're the light in a dark world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the seasoning. So even if you're going through a difficult change or a time in your life, people will see you shine. Let your light shine before others. Let your light shine. We need to be ready for those moments. Change is constant. It's inevitable. It can be good or not very good for the person who is going through it. However, change is not to be feared or dreaded. Not to be feared or dreaded. Your perspective of change goes a long way in how you're able to manage it. It starts with seeing the change through God's perspective. Not your perspective, God's perspective. If you trust in him completely, he's going to show you where you need to go and provide you with what you need to grow, to learn, and importantly, endure the experience. Endure it. Get through it. Move forward with it. He's also going to show you how you can be a positive testimony for him before others. And isn't that what you really want? If you're doing the will of the Lord, you want to be a positive testimony in all situations and circumstances. We just said change is inevitable. You can't get around it. It's going to happen. So be ready for it as best as you can by seeking the Lord in all things. Amen? That's how you do it. That's what you have to do. You can't half-step with this stuff. You can't just put a small amount of effort into it. You've got to be all in for it. That's so important. You'll get through the change if you trust in him. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to discuss how your word can bolster us up, how we can endure many situations and circumstances, how we can get through them if we just have the faith and trust in you. You have readily promised your presence in all these things, that you will be there for us through good and bad, no matter what is going on, and that we'll feel and sense the comfort and peace that you would have us to have through that situation. We thank you, Lord, that your presence means everything. And we thank you again that you help us, even in those times, to be a light before others when we're called upon. We pray for those individuals again, Lord, that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that the Spirit will save those people, but we pray that you will use us to convey the message that they need to be saved. And we thank you and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.